You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, for this day and all of our blessings, we give you thanks. Um, Be with us now. Um, Watch over us, guide us, guard us, and protect us. Uh, Turn our hearts and uh, uh, rule our wills and govern our minds uh, to see and behold you uh, in Jesus name. Amen. Um, okay, let me get sorted here. I'm a little bit out of sorts. This is next week. We're not going to have time for that. So if you're into Russian novelists like Fyodor Dostoevsky, next week's your week. You're going to have a good time. Um, uh, this week we're going to have a really uplifting poem. Um, not really. It's a good poem, but it's not exactly uplifting. But before then, let me pass these out. Um, um, we'll do excerpts. Those are going around from John 6, 7, and 8. Mostly 7 and 8, just as we're going along through John. Um, uh, today, um, we're behind. We'll get to Lazarus, maybe. Um, we'll get to him some. Uh this is really kind of what the title was last week. Can this be the Christ? Um, uh, where in this section of John, where we are um, after uh, what calls the, the festival cycle, some people would call it that. It's a really interesting way that John is structured literarily. If you just read it as you would um, uh, a short story or a novella or something else like that, which would kind of be the length that we're looking at here that all the Gospels, in fact, it's called literary criticism, if you're into that sort of thing, um, and I think it's very interesting. Uh, there's a structure to it that you may not immediately know, but once you become aware of it, then you read it again, you're like, oh my goodness, this is really compelling and interesting. Um, and here, John enters into this festival cycle, as some people call it, the f- Jewish festivals, the festivals of... Um, uh, Passover, and then the festivals are the Feast of the Booths or the Tabernacles, and we'll talk about that because that's where we are. And then it goes to uh, Hanukkah or the Feast of the Dedication, and it goes back to Passover. And so this is also the way that we mark. We often hear that Jesus uh, had a public ministry of three years. How do we know that? Um, you know it because when he starts talking about, and there was a Passover, and he went up to Jerusalem. And it's like another time, there was another Passover, and he went up to Jerusalem. You know, okay, that must be a year in between here. And so this is how you mark chronology um, of, uh, of Jesus' public ministry and piecing all four Gospels together into a unified whole. So we're in the middle of the festival cycle. And in particular, the Feast of the Booths, or the Tabernacles. And if you remember, a lot of y'all been following this series, going all the way back to what would have been the second week, John 1. Week 1 was kind of a big overview, and the second one, the prologue to John's Gospel. Um, famous first words, in the beginning uh, uh, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And without this Word, nothing had, that had been made was made, etc. and so forth. And it goes down to 114, great, wonderful words for Christmas and for every day. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That word, um, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, is tabernacled among us, um, tented among us, teepeed among us, is kind of what it's probably most, that's the structure that I would most clearly associate it with, because in the wanderings of Israel, 
4,000 years ago uh, after uh, uh, the plagues on Egypt and the Red Sea where Egypt, uh, where Israel began to wander for 40 years in the wilderness called the Wanderings. That's the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's the time where the Jews remember the 40 years of wandering and in two particular places, and all these come up, uh, two particular events in those 40 years where Yahweh, God, took particular care of them, uh, where you celebrate the water that came from the rock as they were wandering around, didn't have any water, and Moses struck a rock with his staff and out comes streams of living water. And then also how the presence and the guidance and the providence of Yahweh, God provided his providence for Israel by sending a pillar of cloud by day uh, or a a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Um, And so always leading Israel. (laughs) And those two things Jesus is going to, as he does with all the festivals, he turns them back on itself. And what does he say? I am. Remember the great ego a me, um, I am, says Jesus, which is the hearkening back to Exodus 3 um, of, uh, please tell me your name. Who shall I say sent, uh, sent me, Moses, to, to God, who he's meeting at the birthing bush? Tell him I am sent you. Um, and so we get his covenant name. Covenant name means God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's a God of the promise. When he says something, he will do it, and it will swiftly come. And so that's all the background of what's going on. And we're going to look at just this question. Um, Can this be the Christ? Um, Who is this man? Who who is he to you? Certainly, who was he to the people that he was moving around? Because he was immensely divisive. And that's that's the whole flavor of today with what's in front of you. Um, Just the division that Christ created. Um, Remember, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, tabernacled among us. And this same word, as the Bible describes itself, is sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing. So there's that word division, dividing joint from marrow and flesh from bone. Uh, And as Jesus would say about himself elsewhere, um, uh, fathers from sons and mothers from daughters and sons-in-laws from mothers-in-laws and all these sorts of other things. Uh, He's very divisive. He makes you call the question, um, who am I? Um, Am I the Christ? Um, Are you the Christ? Uh, Are you a rabble rouser? Are you a drunkard? Um, All these these, uh, uh, accusations that are thrown at Jesus, uh, uh, they come to a particular head here. And that's what I've sort of pulled out just to kind of create some of that tension. But before then, we can go ahead and look quickly. uh, no, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Um, uh, let's go. Let's, this is the, the Weimar altarpiece, which I have shown. Uh, and when it comes through in John 8, there's a place where it speaks, and I highlighted that. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And as He was saying these things, many believed in Him. So this whole series, what we're talking about is belief which is the same word as faith. And so so right now we're just talking, what is this faith? What is this belief? Um, Is it something that we generate in ourselves that we sort of pull together? And, and, uh, and, you know, I I don't know why I always have this image, but like a 
like a gerbil on a, a hamster on a hamster wheel or, or me on my bicycle. I'm spinning as fast as I can. i got to sort of get the faith going to a certain level and, 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 and believe hard enough, believe enough, have enough faith, whatever this sort of mythical line is where I'm going to be okay, I'm not okay, and you can pass that. Um, I would say if that's it, we're, we're not, that's not good news. Let me just put it that way. Um, that's not good news. That's news which places a heavy burden, um, one that exceeds the burden of the, of, the, of the Pharisees on our shoulders. But what if, perhaps maybe if, faith is not something that we develop or that we generate or that I have to craft or that because of the strength of my mind or the convictions of my will uh, or even... Uh, the place of my heart, that faith is something that I, as the actor, as the subject of this sentence, have or possess? What if it's not something that's mine, my possession? What if it's a gift? What if it turns everything around and there's a whole different axis where faith or belief to believe is a gift that's given and not something that's acquired? Or possessed or retained but we live in a constant place of receipt that our life is really a passive life a receptive life is a better word and I'm constantly receiving which is why I think I did this yes I did good um, this is uh, we'll stay here who cares about time this is really interesting um, uh, uh, you know obviously the Son of Man lifted up and we are going to read this and we will just do all of Lazarus next week um, uh, this double entendre, the Son of Man must be lifted up, glorified, exalted, placed in his proper position, spatiality, right? Um, that we're here and God is above us. Um, I lift my eyes into the heavens, and so we see up. Somehow that's always up. Well, there's that. There is that. When the Son of Man is glorified, when he ascends, when he is lifted up, when he ascends into heaven as the resurrected Christ, um, and then... And then uh, goes up to be with his Father and leaves us the Holy Spirit. There's always that meaning. But there's also the entendre of when the Son of Man is lifted up and placed high on a cross, the left hand of God, as Tim pulled back to us last week. This awkward, confusing, scandalous, um, offensive work of God in our lives where it seems like it can't be that way, that the Son of Man, which is divinity, remember, uh, we think that that's, that's, the, that's the fulfillment of the, Christ, the Messianic prophecy in Daniel, that the Son of Man will be before the Ancient of Days, uh, and upon and to the Son of Man will the Ancient of Days, God himself as he exists within himself, God, God, gives to the Son of Man government and rule and dominion and power and authority and authorship believe um, you have the power to author belief and Jesus goes around and starts calling himself the son of man which is tremendously wonderful and tremendously offensive if uh, you don't believe so now we're in a circular argument so when the son of man is lifted up you will know that I am he we're humans seeking certainty that you will know aha and I do want to get to this poem uh, about which is a incredibly sad poem about 
um, someone who's dying without certainty. Um, uh, what we'd call nihilism, that this world is all there is, ism. That may be next week, but we'll see. Um, so when the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that I am He. And, and you will, uh, and as He was saying these things, many believed. Many were given the gift of faith. Many received the gift of faith. The passive, receptive life as God is the author. And here's the way that Lucas Cranach's, the two younger and the elder, Lots going on in this with tons of Old Testament. Here's Adam. Here's Moses. Here's the scene from Numbers where the snake is on the pole. And here's the annunciation of the angels to the shepherds and all with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our patron for this series, John the Baptist, pointing to, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's doing it both here and here. This is the one. These two things are the same. But then I love this. I mean, if you look... This blood splurting from Christ's eyes. Very gross, obviously, you know, but, but you know, where the blood is, there is life. And where the blood of Christ is, there is life indeed. And so from Christ's side, we follow this strange stream of blood. To, here is John the Baptist looking at Lucas Cranach. This is the, the painter. This was probably his son who finished it and put his dad there. And this is Martin Luther pointing to the Bible verses of Hebrews and Numbers and but looking at Lucas Cranach, that you would believe um, that the blood of Christ would fall very particularly on you. And look at the detail. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's like splat. I mean, you can feel the warmth. It's gross. You can feel the warmth of the blood as it hits the head and it begins to, to, to spread. And he captures that moment, that pregnant moment of reception of belief and faith being given, of the blood, the sufficiency of Christ's oblation uh, once offered for the full, fully and sufficiently once and for all, for you and for me. And this is just one, one part of this really wonderful uh, painting that Lucas Cranach did. Um, of, uh, it's in Weimar, Germany. Um, some of us have seen. Um, and it's, it's there in the in the Schlossen City Church. Um, so I'll leave that there as we read uh, from John 6, 7, and 8 and think about the question, can this be the Christ? Um, as we think about the division and the way that, that Jesus, it, 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 it's almost inarguable to say that he systematically moves around through time and space when he's on this earth in order to develop the tension, to develop the... Uh, the situation in such a way that he is intentionally pulling the string tight. It says you can't stay on the fence. Either you're underneath the blood uh, or you're not. And he really wants to sort of pull that together. So I'll hit pause before we read this. Any any thoughts? Any questions? You can interact with the painting if you want to or anything I've said. Disagreements. Um, a lot in there. Yeah, that's good. So that's very good, Clay. Um, yeah, this would be a good example. I mean, this is 16th century. The, 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 the Germans and the, uh, who worked with Luther and Melanchthon, I won't go too far here, but I love this, this topic. Um, they were very interesting because they would take a biblical scene and transport it to 16th century Europe, which is really interesting. And so you see uh, some famous crucifixion scenes where... Uh, 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 thinking of one by also Cranach, uh, where 
they look just like almost ghoulish 16th century thugs who are casting, who are rolling dice for, for Christ cloaks, for instance. Um, and so it's very contemporaneous. That's what they want to say is this thing that happened then 1,500 years ago, now 2,000 years ago, is very today. This guy was my dad. He just died two weeks ago. And this is right here, right now. And so the teepees, which are kind of 16th century tabernacles, teepees and all, that's definitely what they're, they're trying to say. During the wanderings, which would be when um, uh, the, 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 the snakes happened, um, you'd celebrate that. You'd, you'd remember that. I'm glad you brought that out during the, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Yeah, Libby. Right here? That's the angel, Gabriel. Yeah, it's hard to see. This is the shepherds um, hearing the, the, the announcement that Christ is going to come into the world. Um, yeah? Yeah, this right here, it's hard to tell. This is, um, this is the resurrected Christ who is defeating death and the devil, who back here we see the devil and death chasing Adam into hell. And I pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. My favorite part of the painting is here's hell, the flames of hell, and Adam being chased into it. We're all under wrath except for the empty tomb, which is also hell, which is really interesting. Um, where it comes out, and now the resurrected Christ coming out victorious, really the glorified Christ, victorious over the enemies of God, Satan and death. And so this is, um, I can't remember what the word is for God. I think it's Jehovah Jireh. Um, the Lord is our banner in victory. Um, and so it's got that echo that the banner in victory is Christ and Christ alone, to defeating the world, death, and the devil. It's a fascinating painting. It's one of my favorites. So, um, And some people don't like it, and that's fine, um, because it's overly didactic. It's not very arty, but we'll look at some of that next week, um, uh, if you like that sort of thing. Christ's clothes kind of look like that same shape, too, the white coming off. Right here? Yeah, yeah that was kind of Cranach's signature which is also uh, a sense that the Holy Spirit is present because it's, 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 it's floating. And it's to say that there's a, there's a dynamism that's here. If you have it in your mind's eye and you've followed some of my classes, especially, well, several of them, it's almost his signature. Uh, but that famous one where Christ, Luther is preaching Christ crucified. And so you have Luther, it's, it's kind of this way, and you have Luther preaching and you have a bunch of people standing because they didn't have pews back then. They had just stood up in church. And you've got a big crucifix, which of Christ there. And it's also a loincloth that's floating. That's the sense of, um, of, a, of a dynamism, that the spirit is present now. And what's he trying to do? It's the artist way of trying because he can't. He can't make the blood actually go out and land on you or me. He's, but he's trying to. It's, I mean, say he's succeeding or not, but I think that's what he's trying to do is saying like, this is now that you may believe that Christ Jesus victorious over sin, death, and the devil and is, is for you and is for me. And his blood is real. He died and it was real blood that was shed. And it wasn't blood like yours or mine. It was Christ's blood, the Son of Man who was presented before the Ancient of Days and given rule and dominion and power and authority and authorship. Here, I'm authoring your life as one of faith and trust and hope and security and peace. Have life and have it in all of them. So anyway, I could go on and on and on. So, 
from that, let's read, uh, work some text in here. Um, uh, and how would I want you to hear this? Um, the way I intended, we'll see if it happens, is because it's a lot, it's a lot of text anyway, it's front and back, um, but it'd be two full chapters and long chapters. Um, John spends a lot of time. If you're the kind that likes to go in a mile deep and an inch wide, John's your gospel. I mean, he's going to go down really slow and expansive. Uh, so if that's what you like, um, he's a great one to go with. But he also throws out all these pieces these morsels that with the eyes to see and the time to take, uh, when you slow down, you realize this is very earthed. It's very real. He gives very specific historical data, for instance. Uh, I was reading in this morning uh, about the Lazarus story, which we'll look at next week. And there's uh, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus of Bethany, parentheses, which is about 15 stadia or two miles from Jerusalem. And that's it exactly. I mean, it's like... Somebody knew what they were talking about, and there's all this sort of um, detail. And that's the, it's the details that I want us to sort of hear as we hear this part. And then also thinking about um, the, uh, uh, well, I'll point those out, the times where he re- redefines the feast of the, of the booze of the tabernacles and says, I am the living water, and then I am the light of the world. Because remember, the water that came from the rock from Moses, and he's saying, that's me. <laughs> You know, I'm the one that if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. We'll read Isaiah, maybe. Um, and then, uh, I am the light of the world. People that, you know, those who know me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the everlasting light. And it's no longer the transient of, well, I know once he did lead us, but now he didn't seem to, and I don't know where God is. And he says, I am he. Ego a me. I am here now for all time. Um, so, let's read put the themes up there. Some believe, some are confused, some grumble, some marvel, some are resentful, some are offended, and some want to kill him. These are all the different responses. A lot of emotion going to be highlighted in here. Uh, And then some themes just to hold out that we've been chasing. Division, certainly he's calling the question. Uh, You'll hear I am a lot, which uh, uh, again and again I want to say this. That's uh, the name for Yahweh, I am who I am. And so when Jesus, especially in John, starts saying, uh, before Abraham was, I am, I am the door, I am a good shepherd, I am the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. All these are, are Jesus asserting his divinity. So you will hear that. Uh, the strong sense of his being sent by the Father um, and his hour. My hour has not yet come. The one who sent me, um, he's going to be speaking in this way. No one takes his life, but he lays it down. Um, Jesus is in complete control and authority. The Son of Man, remember, is given rule and dominion and power. Uh, no one takes his life. He really wasn't murdered in that sense. He gave up his life willingly. Um, we're going to hear that a strong echo. Um, and then, of course, belief, that you may believe, that you may be salvation, that you may be gospeled, that you may be faithed. So, in 6.1, um, at the end of chapter 6, the Jews grumbled about him. So there's grumbling because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? He lives right over there. That's where he grew up. I wiped his, that's what they're saying. It's like, there's no way he's the son of man. Um, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? He didn't come down from heaven. He lived next door to Bobby. 
You know, that's what there's, and it goes on. So this disdain, I mean, it's a human response. And then um, later on, towards the end of chapter 6, and when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. This is after, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says that over and over. It's, it's really pretty graphic. Um, uh, you can have no part of me. And then they sent up, uh, many of the disciples heard it and said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, do you take offense at this? Parentheses, good. <laughs> Because that's what I tried to do. Um, uh, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So this is Jesus, the church growth guru. He's just sort of saying, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put it out there and make you turn away. Um, and then chapter 7, that was the Passover. Now that we moved to a second feast or festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, the teepees, the booths. Um, now there was much muttering. And so here's the chit-chat and the mutters behind among the people with some that said, he's a good man. Another said, no, he's not. He's leading some astray. He's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So he's dividing where some say this and others say this. Everybody's afraid because if they think about him and say something, they know that they might get accused or even worse, uh, killed. And about the middle of the feast, the Feast of the Booths, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, so another very specific word, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Again, he grew up over there. He didn't go to school. He didn't go to college. He didn't have a graduate. He didn't, how does he know what he knows? Um, disbelief. And so Jesus answered him, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me, if anyone's will is... If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. And then, let me skip around. Um, yeah, John 7:28. And so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him. He sent me. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, so fear, because his hour had not yet come. Dominion, authority, power, he's in charge, even of when they come and take him. And yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, when Christ appears, he will do more than this man has done. And then the first crying out um, of the, uh, 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 with the, the celebration of water on the last day of the feast, the great day, uh, Jesus stood up and cried out, imagine. I mean, temple courts, kind of like your Bryant-Denny um, last week outside the stadium, so inside the stadium being the temple, but everybody just middling about. It's that kind of scene. There's just people everywhere, um, not in but around this temple, temple area. And Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Maybe we'll end on this. Um, there's a lot of Old Testament. It seems to be an amalgam of Old Testament text because uh, water is necessary for life. Food, air, water, and sleep. And when it's not there, you die. And so... The acquisition, uh, being near a source of water, obviously it's 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 a vital, it's of life-giving importance. Uh, 
So that's a, a steady theme throughout all the scriptures. And if you've traveled somewhere where in your mind's eye you're thinking an arid place, the hill country of Texas. For me, I always think Bolivia in this town, Aramisi, where I used to visit a lot, where it's an agrarian society and they and there's, have to have water in order to eke out an existence. Well, it's, it's that kind of context where the prophet Isaiah speaks, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, and without price. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's the sort of scripture that Jesus has in mind and now he's standing up, crying out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Behold, uh, that which the scriptures, that whom the scripture speaks of is near you. He is here. That's what he wants to say. And the blood drips on Cranach's head just to reinforce that sense. Come, you who are thirsty, and drink of the well of living water. Um, so, question, thought? When I always wondered if it's, uh, many of the people believed in him, they said, when the Christ appears, well, he did the next time, and this man has died, and, and elsewhere he says, if you don't believe me, at least believe the miracles. Mm-hmm. What does he mean? I mean what, what good would it do to believe the miracles yeah. about him? Yeah. We're going to square up to that next week um, in a real way, because there's Lazarus. I'm just going to tie it to. We're going to. We're, I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to go right into that. You're, you're right in the right stream. That's good. Um, why doesn't Jesus just pull out a rabbit from his hat, especially in front of the right people? Because he does it in secret to nobodies. A man had been born blind from birth, a woman at a well at noon, so nobody else is around, and she's a half-breed, and she's a woman. She's got no voice, no authority. That's John 5. Why does he do that? And why not in front of Caiaphas, the high priest that year? Because his hour had not yet come. Um, uh, and that's what he wants to keep saying. He really is in control. That's, a, that's, that's the biggest part of that answer, but we'll have more to say too. Um, let me pray. Lord, correct me where I'm wrong, where your word would go forth, um, uh, and especially uh, the word which gives faith and belief in your gospel, and it does what it says it will do. Um, give life and hope and peace. Uh, peace which passes understanding, um, that we would know and believe that you are the Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.